Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting October 9th, 2015, we talk with France's celebrated Gardner Prince, Louis Albert de Broya, campaigning for smaller, smarter, more local micro-farming to feed the world's growing population and decrease the dangers of today's industrialized agribusiness. He wrote about that for the new Food Fight Fall 2015 issue of World Policy Journal under the headline, Food Crisis, Problem is the Solution. We'll also point out other top features in the new fall issue. But first, some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the West Wing Reports News Service. Well, the White House continues to push back against critics who say the U.S. has been outfoxed on Syria by Russia. This as Moscow steps up its attacks in Syria. The Kremlin continues to maintain that its campaign is directed against ISIS, the terror group. But Washington says Moscow's true aim is to prop up the regime of its client, Bashar al-Assad. The view on the West Wing is that Russia is getting sucked into a quagmire, alienating Sunnis throughout the Middle East by supporting Assad, who is a Shia. The Obama administration has said for years that Assad's days are numbered and that he must go, but has now watered down that to say that what is needed in Syria is a, quote, managed transition. All of this has spilled over into the presidential campaign with Hillary Clinton, the ex-Secretary of State, breaking with her former boss and calling for a no-fly zone in Syria, a safe zone for refugees, and the establishment of quarters where humanitarian aid can be delivered to them. President Obama has called the head of Doctors Without Borders to apologize for the weekend bombing of a hospital in Afghanistan. The attack on the aid group's hospital in Kunduz killed 12 members of its medical staff and 10 patients, three of whom were children. White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest says that when the United States makes a mistake, it must be transparent and own up to the bombing, which the aid group has likened to a war crime. And old habits die hard. Iran's supreme leader is ruling out future talks with the U.S. about pretty much anything. This in the wake of the nuclear deal with Washington and five other world powers. Ayatollah Ali Khamenei has also appeared to criticize Iran's nuclear negotiating team, hinting that it allowed, quote, damage to be done against Iran's national interest. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandis at the White House. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. And pulling weeds and picking the stones Mine is made of dreams and bones Feel the need to grow my own Cause the time is close at hand And brain for brain, sun and brain Find my way in nature's chain Tune my body and my brain to the music from the land. American folk singer David Mallett's 1978 garden song, better known as Inch by Inch, Row by Row, is a perfect anthem for France's unique gardener prince, Louis Albert de Broya, 
and his mission to take food production back to the future. With evidence that current corporate industrialized agriculture is compounding problems of energy supply, chemical pollution, biodiversity, and climate change, De Broglie is pioneering the return to a smaller, smarter, localized approach. He wrote about it for the world policy journal Food Fight Fall 2015 issue in an essay headlined Food Crisis, Problem is the Solution, and we talked about it recently for this podcast. Louis Albert De Broglie, welcome to World Policy on Air. Yes, uh, thank you very much to invite me on that. First, explain how you are a prince in a country with no king, your family's noble history. Well, it's a, it's a long uh, history of an Italian family that came in the late 17th century to serve the king, uh, along with Mazarin, to serve the king, uh, Louis XIV. And one after the other one, there were self-martialed and obviously um, distinguished militaries that served the country and their got the title from uh, not only from the French king, which was our French duke title, but the prince title was given um, by the Emperor Frederick of Austria for the uh, services rendered by Victor François Boy at the Battle of Bergen. And therefore, it's a title of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, which is given to all the male uh, and all the head of the families. Therefore, uh, we have a foreign title, but it has been recognized by the French government ever since uh, the 18th century. Despite no shortage of urban experience and education, you always felt close to the countryside, the soil, you write, and the feeling grew as you did. Talk about that. Well, it's very simple. Um, I've been raised, obviously, in the city during the week, but all weekends and all um, uh, holidays were in the countryside, in the farm, in the forest, in the park, in the gardens. And we always had this extremely uh, simple relations. The, the, you respect nature, they provide a lot of things to you, and then you share it. And we had uh, to deliver uh, from the chateau, our family chateau in Broglie, the, um, the food, uh, the cider, and eventually uh, the wood to the families uh, that didn't have a chance to have some. So the idea was a, a proper equilibrium, the one that you respect the earth, the other that you share whatever comes from the earth because it's always very generous. And that always was most probably uh, let in my blood and in my thinking that uh, nowadays, unfortunately, we exactly do the opposite. You received wide acclaim as the savior of French tomatoes, devoting a, a private garden at your Loire Valley Chateau to nurturing species uh, long ignored or near extinction. Why? How did you do it? And by how much did the number of varieties grow? Well, nobody's perfect. I started as a banker for Paribas for a long time. I started in London. I lived in India for two and a half years, and then I uh, sort of travel uh, quite extensively to um, Latin America for, for banking and for um, debt equity swap and all sorts of investment uh, and merchant acquisitions. So at some point, um, obviously something uh, I thought I was missing was nature, and uh, I put another estate which was in the family before called La Bourdesière, which is exactly in the Loire Valley, in the Garden of France. And the first thing that I did, uh, it's, it's a chateau hotel, but the first thing that I did, because the, the gardens were magnificent but totally lost, was to plant 
uh, all species of, of, of not only tomatoes, but a different uh, type of, of vegetables and fruits. And um, early 90s, uh, nobody was really interested by diversity. We were not calling that biodiversity. And we had about 30 different uh, tomatoes uh, in the garden when suddenly people discovered that they were not red and round, but green and, and, and multicolored and black and white and orange and, and, and um, yellow. And, and at the end of the day, people were surprised and were wondering whether it was genetically modified organism or something weird. And uh, step by step, and especially in the 90, um, mid-90s, 95, 96, with all the, uh, the issue with diocene and mad cows, people start to wonder what was in their plate, and uh, a lot of, of journalists and chefs came to our garden in the Wild Valley and said, well, what the hell is this? And, of course, they discovered that this was part of the patrimonia of the earth and, therefore, belonging to everybody. And that was another issue, obviously, because that was competing with large corporations that wanted to uh, patent seeds, and that uh, became one of my favorite um, battle uh, to go back to the, uh, to the roots means to go back to uh, sharing whatever is, should be free for everybody. And how many varieties of tomatoes are there now that you've developed or preserved? Well, we are very low profile. We grow 653 varieties, but I mean, we are more than 20,000. Uh, and if you look at the Seed Service Exchange that does amazing work in the United States, um, it's, uh, it's a meager part of this huge diversity, but it's same for potatoes, same for pumpkins, same for herbs, for basilic, for so many other things. So just have to cultivate it and, and forget the idea that uh, whatever you provided is the, um, the, the only thing that uh, does exist is un- totally untrue. You say it was the work of two globetrotting teachers in the countryside of Normandy that prompted you to expand your efforts more to agriculture more broadly. Talk about what Perrine and Charles uh, Hervé Grier accomplished on just a quarter acre of their property. Well, um, after I started this, this, obviously, what became the Tomato Conservatory, a lot of people got interested with with our work. And there was another thing that uh, was, for me, very... Um, a very uh, uh, weak in our system is the uh, uh, dependence on agro-business, depending and dependence on agro-food, and obviously the effect of all the diseases that provide and the uh, endocrine uh, disruptors uh, on everybody's uh, health. Uh, so I was always looking for small, new type of farming, and I came at the UNESCO to hear um, Charles and Perrine Vigrier uh, explaining the discoveries of um, permaculture and, of course, microfarming, which I knew about. But permaculture, I was not exactly familiar with um, this philosophy rather than a technique. It's not only uh, an agronomical technique. It's just to replace um, your relations of human being into nature and, and trying to recreate uh, ecosystems that are resilient an ecosystem can, that can provide an equilibrium of food, but also the health of the soil, the health of the body, uh, creation of employment, education, creation, creating a local economy. So all that made sense to me, and I decided that to share with them, and not only with them, you have a, an amazing person in the States called Elliot Coleman. You have Jean-Martin Forst in Canada. They are uh, pioneers of this so-called permaculture or the real agroecology 
And that is a new innovative way to look at small size uh, farming. Um, Charles Grier has um, been looked and, and followed by the National Institute of Agronomy, and they've acknowledged after five years that uh, last year, for example, on a thousand square meters, they provide more than 54 thousand of euros of, of equivalent of vegetables and fruits, which means if you multiply by 10,000 uh, square meters, which is a nectar in France, uh, it's nearly uh, 50 to 100 times more productive than conventional farming. Of course, it needs a lot of people, 10 people per hectare. Uh, at the same time, it, it, it does explain that um, man can do things that machine can't do. But what is important is not only the results, because, of course, this is most probably like a, uh, the best you can get. Um, but what is important to see is, at the end of the day, the positive aspect of it is the um, consequences of your on health, on uh, education, how you make people not dependent on uh, all their environment, but they can rely on their own source of feeding themselves within the territory. And the whole idea behind that is obviously the big idea on the climate change. And that's something that we can discuss, but climate change uh, is the, one of the most important emitters of, of uh, dioxin is agriculture. So we have to decrease our, um, the emission of uh, dioxin and, um, and uh, CO2, and therefore um, trying to find a way to have micro-farming without any pesticides, without any chemicals, without any uh, very, very light transportation, very few mechanics, no tractors, nothing like this, is a tremendous effect if combined by 100,000 of farms. And in France, uh, the, the government uh, asked a report on that, and they say we should create 150 to more 150 to 200,000 farms, in which case the agriculture will... Um, decrease its emission in CO2. So it's a, a global issue. Uh, Microfarming is not only a, a micro issue, it's a global issue. And indeed, the success of these smaller experiments uh, contrast with increasing inefficiency of current industrialized agriculture, you write. First talk uh, to explain this, the, the, the calories in and calories out involved, uh, the gallons of fuel uh, for one pound of meat, for example. Well, in, in, the, um, in the old days, I mean, in, in just after the war, uh, one had to realize that um, to produce um, a calorie of, um, of, of food, uh, you needed um, less than a calorie of uh, f fossil fuel. Uh, today, to produce the same calorie of food, uh, you need nearly seven calories uh, of fossil fuel. So, therefore, you destroy more to get less. Um, and it's obviously, to anybody that would understand that, uh, is, is a stupidity. It's like cutting a tree to, to, to get uh, the cherries, and therefore the next year you say, well, there are no cherries because there are no more trees. I was fascinated by the amount of fuel it takes to make a pound of meat. Well, it's, 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 it could be 5,000 uh, at an average uh, um, liters of fuel, but it's 25,000 um, liters of water. Uh, so you, you step by step realize 
that we have created obviously something that if you take into account that most of this uh, food uh, is full of, of pesticides and full of um, uh, medicinals that is hurting your body, that you have to go and cure yourself. If you put into account that there is a huge part of waste in the food um, uh, uh, chain uh, from production to distribution, if you take into account that uh, we've destroyed most of the soil and that will be a burden and a debt for the next generations, including our generations, at the end of the day, you have to questions we have uh, all together, but we have to take action. And there is a, a big movement now, which uh, COP21, which is a climate a negotiation on climate change, that will be addressed, that is already addressed. It's a huge issue. Uh, I was struck, too, by the remarkable amount of energy that goes simply for transportation, uh, getting uh, these products from the huge uh, acreage that uh, has been industrialized uh, to the people who need it. You had some striking statistics for the United States. Well, in, in the States, the average, um, uh, um, and it's FAO, say that the United Nations figures, uh, the average uh, distance that uh, a piece that you have in your plate uh, travels is 1,500 kilometers. Um, that's nearly uh, 800 miles, um, or, or less, sorry, 700 miles. In France, it's um, more than 300 miles uh, that travels uh, any, I mean, as an average, every single piece of whatever you have into your uh, plate. This is actually uh, terrifying because up to the 60s, 1960, um, things were traveling uh, from the neighbor area. People were feeding themselves, and of course, there were, like at the time of uh, 14, uh, ananas coming from the islands, um, uh, the Caribbeans, and plenty of other products coming, spices from all over the world. But the basis was next door to you. And today, we have created an economy where the basic comes from far distance away. In Africa, most of the milk comes uh, from processed milk from outside Africa. And the example that we give, actually, to the border, for example, of the Mediterranean on North African, is exactly the model that we know is a killing model of extensive agriculture full of pesticides, destroying not only um, the landscape, but also the local, um, what we call the family, um, the family uh, structure of the local economy, the one that has a small order, um, a small garden that provides the local food. Today, the difference is today it should change, but tomorrow is a link in between all this small farming that will be most probably managed by people that have no relations with the old way of farming, obviously. There'll be young ones, lawyers, retired people that will understand that it's less difficult to manage. Um, the technology will allow people to cross fertilize uh, informations and therefore be more efficient. And permaculture is really constant Agriculture on the land, you don't let a piece of sun ray to go on a piece of earth without cultivation. It's like a forest. You don't cultivate a forest, it's self-cultivating. And the idea is to 
make sure that you have ongoing production all around the year on a piece of land. You've talked about the uh, impact of uh, massive use of chemicals on farmland, on the farmers themselves, on consumers. I was struck also by the way uh, commercialization, mass marketing, inevitably focuses on the most saleable varieties of a particular product, uh, fruit, vegetable, and how that leads to fewer other varieties, uh, more one-crop farmers, greater vulnerability to the changing climate conditions that you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, first for crops, the, the notion that we lose some varieties that may be more resistant to the changes that are coming. It's absolutely true. Um, there's a, a big issue uh, in between the people that do consider, and they, they, are, they are right at some point, and that we have to keep on the research on seeds, we have to keep on the research on many different things. And um, whether this should be patent or not is, a, is another topic, which of course I'm against the patent of everything, especially spaces that does exist. Now, when you do the research to fix a seed into a, um, uh, in French we say pedoclimatic, so into a place where you combine uh, a climate and a, and a soil um, constitution, you're going to fix it uh, for a period of time. And uh, this is going to be adapted. The seed, for example, the seed of rice or seed of uh, wheat, is going to be adapted for some Since now the climate is changing very fast, whatever you're going to uh, invest in creating a seed uh, that is adapted to one uh, specific condition is going to be irrelevant in some time from now, maybe 10 years, maybe less, maybe a little more. But climate change is changing so, so fast. And we all see that. And at the same time, we have masses. And we've seen that this summer with, in France. We have masses of all seeds because of all the cooperative, all the corporations that want to sell the same thing with the same uh, pesticide, with the same pesticide, with the same chemicals to save that. End of the day, the all seeds today are more resistant if we find the right seed. Uh, seed crops, which is uh, United Nations, um, um, let's say, so-called parallel entity, has created a bank seed that is free of charge for the people that want to understand what sort of seeds they should be cultivating considering the weather. But of course, these seeds have in their genetic uh, all the understanding uh, of how to survive into a specific environment. And it's free because nature has provided thousands and hundreds of thousands of different type of seeds by type um, of, um, of spaces. You have hundreds of thousands of different uh, uh, rice. You have hundreds of thousands of different wheat. And, of course, we all believe that there is one which is a big mistake because it's a cultural mistake because we don't know about it. And there, education is one of the main aspects to surviving. Uh, surviving, I'm talking about the human um, uh, uh, spaces. We have to re-educate ourselves into making sure that we understand that uh, diversity is the essence of surviving. Let's turn to your own efforts to explore local farming as an alternative. How much land will your experiment take? How much time? What crops are you focusing on? Well, um, our point and my point is um, less than uh, four acres means less than eight acres or ten acres. 
The, our farm, for example, is 1.2 hectare, which is about three acres. Um, why? Two reasons. The number one, all the experiments, and the one of Elliot Coleman uh, in the States, or Jean-Martin Forti, I'm mentioning this one because they're quite fantastic, for um, Charles and Perrine Avigrier, uh, see that on one uh, hectare, three acres, you can nearly feed the equivalent of 100 families to more. Uh, so, and make your living means make enough money to pay for the, the people working with you and also uh, for you. So, and have free time means working 10 months a year and have two months for yourself. Um, then, the question is, um, do we have enough land of this size? The answer is it's full of land in cities, around cities, companies that will have free parking um, uh, along the, I mean, free land around their parking, around their um, uh, building units or whatever, and individuals. And there are so many of these tiny little pieces of land that are not being cultivated because it doesn't make sense apparently in terms of economics. So the number one is to find them. The number two is to train the people and to bring the finance. The finance for a small farm is in the vicinity of 50 to 100,000 euros, more or less the same in dollars, 50 to 100,000 dollars. Um, and this says that you have to be, uh, to have a toolbox to make sure that people understand how can they be um, uh, helped for the final land, for uh, being uh, trained, for the finance, for the distributions, and we call them, and Maxime de Rostelon, who is in charge of the farm, call them pericultor, which is a very beautiful name, means you cultivated your territory. And this is something very much feasible, but we have to make sure that people understand that it's possible, so we have to spread the world based on um, independent um, scientific, economic, and social committee, which is the case with our, our farm in La Bourdesière. And we have to make sure that the finance comes from the local financing. It's called, uh, obviously, seeds uh, financing uh, from um, uh, either um, uh, uh, crowdfunding, uh, local funding, uh, and always remember that the average um, farming today uh, is totally financed by um, taxes and by subsidies, whereas a small farming is not and doesn't ask for it, financed by anybody, but we have to recognize the work that they do, and therefore they have to have a contract which allows us them to have a proper salary. This is very important, and maybe less social and security charges for them. Do the agribusiness giants just disappear, or could they become franchisers of a sort, providing uh, support, maybe land for small farmers who can operate as their own local conditions require? Uh, that's another big question. Uh, everybody comes to me and say, why uh, did you associate it, uh, metro, casino, uh, large banks into um, the funders of uh, this uh, toolbox? Because obviously it's, we, we have so many... Uh, scientists and we all, everybody is being paid. So uh, it's, it's, it's not the farm, it's the experimentation that leads 
Um, it's a four years experimentation that will lead every year to have a certain number of reports, which is already the case on the website, and so on and so on. Um, and people are saying and are challenging me and saying, well, you can't be partners with these people. It's like if you were partners with Tesco, Walmart, and, and this is criminal. And I always say, well, you know, the word in, 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 Europe, in at least in France, 78% of the people does their herons in the supermarket. So if you consider that they are um, the um, enemies, we will never strike something good for the population. Uh, but if these people understand that the world is changing and they have to cope with the request of the consumer that needs to have proper food, good food, and, and transparent, uh, it means uh, that they know that it's... Uh, it's uh, um, free um, uh, from any pesticide or any chemistry. Therefore, we have to build a project that will associate everybody. It means that small farming, they will be sustainable if they, of course, work also together, link themselves together. And for example, Metro, which is a very large um, uh, distribution uh, like Casino, what they are partners, and we provide them every week for about uh, five months um, fruit. And they are selling that to um, very specific people that request and that are prepared to pay a little more simply because they know it's very good food. But if we had about 100 farms around each and every metro and casino that could provide the, uh, the same, obviously, in the planifications of productions, uh, we would say, well, 30% are contracts to these people, to these groups. 30% will be to single individuals that will come uh, uh, directly to the farm to collect. And 30 other percent could be uh, uh, to uh, the local retirement home, the local hotels, the local restaurants, uh, or whatever. And therefore, contracts ahead will make sure that people can get uh, the revenue that they deserved on the farm. Therefore, we need to keep all the structure of large corporations, but the large corporations have to adapt very quickly because at the same time, we have the increase of, of platforms like La Ruche qui dit oui in French. La Ruche qui dit oui is, um, it's like, you know, Uber or it's like, uh, uh, Airbnb. It's, it's internet that is putting together a consumer directly with a producer. And that is very scary for large corporations. So they know that why people are doing so simply because um, they need good food and they don't trust the food that is in the large corporations. So they have to adapt, otherwise they will lose a certain percentage of their customers. You see a critical role for what you call a new, pe a new generation of peasants, citing the work of uh, Maxime de Rostolon and his uh, Ferme d'Avenir, or Farms of the Future. Say a little bit more about that. Well, uh, what is interesting, Maxime de Rostolon is what? An um, engineer in environment uh, that has plenty of degrees, specialized in water, uh, came and worked uh, with us at Derol, Derol Polavnir, which is a publishing activity uh, of this very old institution that I have called Derol, uh, and that does um, uh, education uh, boards uh, for companies, uh, individuals, and, and, and obviously 
um, uh, community. Um, one day he said, well, I can't uh, keep on uh, doing what I do without putting my hands into the earth because I'm talking about preserving the earth, preserving the environment, and I have to do it. So he said, but I don't have a clue of how to grow a potato or a radish or whatever. He decides to start, and he's been heading the project, and now the project is becoming extremely big because a lot of small farming have understood that they have to link uh, each other to be able to provide the services that we described earlier. At the same time, Maxim realized that um, we have to put a new name because the peasants of tomorrow are not the, the uh, farmers of yesterday. The farmers of yesterday, they believe that big is beautiful. They have to grow. They have to have more machines. They have to have more. They in-depth themselves. Uh, and obviously, some of them uh, have terrible financial problems. Others are committing suicide. In France, it's very important. In India, it's, it's terrible, and you know all about it. So he said, now, the peasants of tomorrow are going to be the peasants that will represent their territories, their pays, and he called them the pays culture. And it's beautiful because it shows that food is cultural. You can't say that food is something um, which is exactly the same worldwide. We all know that, not to mention some of them, um, uh, fast food um, is the globalizations of, of brands. Uh, we are very happy when we have the same brand all over the world. Um, at the same time, we all know that some of these brands uh, have been run-of-the-mill products, and I forgot totally the idea that uh, if you are in, um, in, 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 in south of France, you have a specific type of food that you don't have if you are in the north of France and if you are in Brittany and if you are in the center of France, and that applies exactly the same uh, in all over the world, in the United States, wherever. You have specifics, and the specifics have to be cultivated. And it should be part of our culture. And our culture shouldn't be to have all the, all the, always the same type, and I'm, I'm not criticizing that. I'm saying that um, it can't be only that. We have to stop thinking of having the same phone, of having the same uh, burger, of having the same hotel, of having the same... Uh, car of having the same whatever. We have to think that we belong. We are humans, men of, of the world, but men of roots means we belong also to community and the people have to cultivate these roots. Louis Albert de Broya, thank you. Well, it was a pleasure. Prince Louis Albert de Broya saved the French tomato and is pioneering the micro-farming alternative to today's industrialized agriculture. He wrote about it for the fall 2015 food fight issue of World Policy Journal under the headline, Food Crisis, Problem is the Solution. Also featured in the new fall issue, you'll find a conversation with Ségolène Royal, France's Minister of Ecology, Sustainable Development and Energy, about feeding the world, plus articles on the avoidable loss and waste of food, and on cuisine, controversy, and nationalism. And listen next week when our podcast will feature close-up consideration of the 70th regular session of the UN General Assembly in front of the cameras and backstage as well. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. 
Editor-publisher David Andelman, managing editor Yaffa Frederick, online news editor and podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>